Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. And Gabe. When our sun formed, the sun that we look at every day or, or mostly every day. And the one that heats us? Well, I was going to say... Warms more, us? Yeah, but there are a lot of clouds in this part of Germany, so we do not see it every day, oh, especially, it. especially yeah. this time of year. Yeah. When it formed, and then the planets like planet Earth that we're sitting on right now, when that formed as well, what was around us? In, in space. What was, how, how did the sun form? Yeah. Well, yeah. That and, and what, was, what was our immediate neighborhood like? And, and um, if it was crazier or hotter or wilder than, than we thought, um, how, would we, how would we figure that out? How would we know if that, that could have been the case while we were forming? Because we can't go back in time. Well, well you would look at environments where such phenomena are happening right now. That's it, yeah, <laughs> right now, and see, would life have been possible in this extreme environment? We are going to go to Heidelberg, Germany, to the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy, and talk to Dr. Maria Claudia Ramirez Tanos, who just used the world's most powerful telescope to get a glimpse into just that. Science Unscripted. Okay, so hi, my name is Maria Claudia Ramirez Tanos, and I am an astronomer at the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy in Heidelberg in Germany, and I study planet formation in extreme environments. Maria, you and a pretty large team just put out a new paper on planetary formation in extreme environments. What was the main conclusion? What was the main thing you found there? We found water, carbon dioxide, and other molecules and uh, dust that are key to life, but in a very extreme and harsh environment. Where did you find these? Uh, this is a star-forming region, which is called, uh, the technical name is NGC 6357, but we also call it the Lobster Nebula. It's at around uh, 6,000 light years away. So you're looking in our galaxy... Yes. 6,000 light years away. Yeah. What's, what's there <laughs> that you're looking at? Yeah, so this is a very extreme environment, as I said. Uh, it's not like, say, the solar neighborhood, but it's full of some stars that we call massive stars, which are stars that have at least eight times the mass of the sun. And because they are so massive, they are also super energetic. So they produce a lot of UV radiation. And that radiation... I think anyone who's gotten a sunburn knows UV radiation can burn things. It can be bad. Those huge stars are, are blasting, what, way too much radiation all over the place? So it's just, a, it's just a dangerous environment to be around. Exactly. Yeah, I really like that you said that about the sun because that's the analogy that I like to use. We know that UV radiation is very aggressive and we only get the UV radiation from the sun. Now, these things emit, uh, I don't know, 100,000 times more UV radiation than the sun. And uh, so they blast away all the gas and dust that is around it. And when stars are, are being born, they form a disk around them. And it's in this disk where planets form. Planets like our Earth and uh, the gas planets and like our solar system. So we are looking at, at these planet forming sites around stars like our sun, but that are nearby these uh, massive stars. Uh, let me frame that a different way. Yeah. So is, I think kind of the assumption would have been before your paper, that our sun is the size of our sun. And if it had been way bigger, way more powerful, and with l way more, 100,000 times the UV radiation, 
some people would have said, oh, that would have blasted all of the dust and the water molecules, everything out of there. We never would have had planets because that star would have been too powerful. Is that the assumption? That is still the assumption, and we still think that around massive stars there are not planet, no planets formed just because of that. So uh, we are still looking at stars like our sun, but in the neighborhood of massive stars. Do we? If that makes sense. So we are we ah. we are looking at solar systems, so solar system analogs, but in these very extreme regions. So it's like our sun with our planets, except there's a gigantic star nearby. That's exactly. radiating everything with its with its uh, waves. Exactly, exactly. Which is also very interesting, and the, and the reason we we do this. So the over overarching question is, where do we come from, right? Yeah. And then the reason we're doing this study is because we think from simulations and observations of the solar system that the sun was actually born in such an environment. What do we know about that now? What, what did it look like? How did, where did our sun come from? Yeah, so we think the sun was born in an environment like the Lobster Nebula, full of massive stars. It's just that the lives of massive stars are shorter, so they are already dead. That's why we don't see them anymore. Uh, but uh, due to observations of the chemical composition of comets in the solar system and also of uh, certain elements that we find on Earth, we think that uh, there must have been these very massive stars at the beginning of the life of the sun, so to say, or uh, at the beginning of the life of the solar system. And, and what did that moment look like when our sun came to being? Did it, I don't know, blast off from some other bigger star, like a little burp from a, from a bigger star? Or what, what was that like? So normally stars are born from gigantic uh, clouds of gas and dust. And then these clouds start collapsing in what we call stellar clumps. And then each of these clumps becomes a star and uh, it forms a disk around it because of uh, physics. It's like uh, if the cloud is rotating like ballerinas, when they open their arms, they slow down. So the stars that are being formed, they need to open their arms in the way of a disk to slow down. And then this disk is where planets are born. And then in the case of the sun, there, was, there were, I don't know, millions of stars like the sun that were born, but also a couple of very, very massive stars. So our sun or our solar system was, was a ballerina spinning around and it was getting sunburned by a huge different star close to it. Uh, it would have had to have been somewhat close to it. We must be able to look closely around in our solar neighborhood and say that was the star based on its movement now. That was the one that was close to us back then, right? So that's the that's the problem. These stars, these massive stars, their lives are uh, very short in comparison to the life of the sun. For example, the sun is like in the middle of its life and it has been alive for billions of years. And a massive star's life is a couple of millions of years. Hmm. So these massive stars that were there when the sun was born, they are already long gone. So this was an attempt to go back in time to understand ourselves or our solar system, how it happened? Exactly, exactly. This is the attempt. And then the good news is that we found that uh, the conditions are still there. So this is good news for the formation of uh, planets like Earth, because we found that the, actually the conditions are very familiar to us. Maria, I know from the people I follow on, on X that it's really hard to get access 
to everyone's favorite telescope right now, the James Webb Telescope. People celebrate it. They're like, oh, my God, we got, I don't know how many hours where we have access to it or something, or where we're allowed to turn it to look at what we want to look at. How did you get access to it? Yeah, it's uh, we were, I think, uh, lucky because we were one of the... I think 200 proposals that got accepted out of the thousand that were sent for the cycle one proposals. So we are a very big team. We are around 30 people around Europe, the US, and uh, even in Colombia, we have some colleagues. And uh, yeah, we wrote a proposal that was liked by the, by the panel and we got 30 hours of, of, of observing time. And with that 30 hours of observing time, you get images that are six light years away what yeah what not did, exactly what, images but uh, we get spectra what, what what is that what when the spectra come back what are you what is what do you what does that look like what are you looking at uh, yeah well that was very confusing and exciting so because we looked at the first spectra and they looked normal so at first we were a bit worried and we had to recheck that we were pointing at the right places but then we were very excited once we, we figured out that we did look at the right stars. And am I right to kind of compare spectra to the way that if you were to hold a prism or a bottle of water up to the sunlight and then see, the, see it turn into a rainbow pattern on the wall, you are look, you're getting a rainbow pattern that tells you which molecules are in that, that disk, right? Exactly. That's exactly And that's right. how you can say there's water there. And whatever else. Wait, what else did you see there? We see water, we see carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. And we see uh, a molecule that is called acetylene. This, this may, might be familiar to some because of the industrial uh, uses. And also hydrogen cyanide, which is a very interesting molecule because it's believed to be the, the, one of the precursors of RNA and the origins of life. I, I get really excited talking to astronomers because I'm a hobby astronomer and I have a four inch telescope. It's nothing special at all, but I just, it, it's fun. And I guess my question for you is, um, are you, are you just a professional astronomer? Do you, do you do this in your free time? How do you get to, how do you get to the point where you have accessed the best telescope ever made? How did, how did this happen? <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm, I'm mainly a professional astronomer. So I, I studied physics because I'm curious about the world. So I like to understand things. And uh, I think physics is the perfect way of uh, understanding what's around you by using uh, mathematics. And uh, But uh, during my physics career, I had the opportunity to have a, a, an observing school in Mexico. And I spent two weeks observing with a one-meter telescope that they have in, in Tonantzintla. And that's when I fell in love with astronomy and I decided to, to pursue a career as an astronomer. And then, yeah, I've been lucky to end up in places like the Max Planck, where I find very talented colleagues that help me write good proposals to get JWST time. And, and when did you know that you wanted to go after um, how our son was born uh, was that something that you always wanted to figure out or did it just happen along the way? Or So actually I started my career studying the massive stars, the, these huge, very violent monsters, because there are a lot of puzzles about them still. But then when we were thinking about what we can do with JWST, we realized 
that for the first time, we can not only look at the massive stars in these very, very far away regions, but we can also start looking at stars like the sun. So that's, that's how it happened. We started looking at the massive stars because they are bright enough to look from, at, from the ground at these distances. And then we thought, oh, but now JWST opens up a window to study stars like the sun in these very massive regions. When you talk to people about what you do, normal people at a bar, at a, at a, at a cafe, do they understand it? Do they, do they care? Do you get indifference? I mean, I'm talking to you and I feel like I can feel my, my brain expanding to the size of the universe kind of with you. Do other people have that reaction or is it more like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about? Oh, I think the, the fact that, that we are trying to understand where we come from gets the curiosity of many people. So fortunately, you know, most of my friends and my family are interested in what I do. And that was Dr. Maria Claudia Ramirez Tanus talking to us from Heidelberg, Germany, which is beautiful. Yes, it is. Castles, the, the Necker River, nestled. The, the castles are, uh, it's such a beautiful place to be on both sides of the river. The hills go up. On the one side, you got these castles. On the other side, these hills that you can just the go walking in, mountain biking in. Philo- the philosopher's path, which I didn't The, the I path didn't walk. goes right up into those hills. And then you've got these old German half-timbered houses littered throughout the, the region. <laughs> and it is and also... the oldest university in, in Germany, it's just... Yeah, that too. That too. Phenomenal place. And the home of the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy. Which we were talking about today. And can, can you take me back through that? So the birth of the sun, how did it happen again? Okay, take, take Jupiter. Yeah. The biggest planet. Yeah. It's so big and there's so much mass that it has so much gravity that it can hold on to more gases. Yeah. Now the planet's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There are more and more and more gases. Yeah. And eventually it reaches a point where it's so big that the gases either due to, to what's happening in the core or something else, they ignite. And now, there's now an you explosion have a star. on... No, no, now you, now, so now you have a star. And oh, all I okay. believe all she was saying there is as various stars were popping up in a, in a stellar um, cradle or whatever they call it, where areas where there are lots of gases and things mixing around and where all these stars are being born, that at the birth of our kind of star, our sun, nearby you would have had these giant stars. Because you've probably seen these videos, stars are all sorts of sizes. They can be incredibly huge, red yeah. giants. Yeah. Um, in our neighborhood, in the in the vicinity of our very young, new star, you had these giants r- roaring. They're like furnaces, blasting heat—not heat, but radiation everywhere. And the question was, or the assumption was, that would have probably disrupted the ability of a life-forming planet to form. Right? It's getting irradiated. I, I don't know if that would have an effect on water molecules staying together, if it would blast them apart. I don't know what the assumptions were. But it turns out by looking at this crab, I'm sorry, lobster nebula, mm-hmm. that if you look there, that those preconditions are that way. It's an extreme environment. You would think this is not going to work. And yet, you see the molecules necessary for life. And it, for okay, planet. so that's yeah. where the spectra come into play. And they're looking through... She had an idea that this that it was going to be like this, and then and then got these thirty hours with the James Webb, and the the chemical analysis that she saw from that lobster area, yeah, uh, confirmed her 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 original theory, and now they know that this is an environment where stars are forming. Yeah, that's why the shock was seeing a pattern that was a spectra that was familiar. It's like a thumbprint that you know because mm-hmm. you've seen it so many times, and then you're looking at a place where that thumbprint should not pop up, and there it is. 
Like, holy smokes. Based on hydrogen cyanide and, and carbon monoxide and, and the other things that she mentioned. Yeah. We know for sure that right now planets are, are being born. You know, you know that the conditions are uh, there. For that for, to happen. For those kinds of planets. Yeah. For those planets to form and for okay. them to be life-sustaining. And the question, the thing that they had to get right and that was at distance is that great is a little trickier, I would guess, is, mm. you know, are we looking at the star we think we are? Are mm. we looking, or the area, that, not the star necessarily, but the area that we think we're looking at? So that has to be confirmed and checked, but um, the conditions seem to be there. And because of the precision of the James Webb, they do know, now know this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then they yeah. know this, of course, at every, every good study is even better if it's done twice. That would be one way to follow this up. And what it really does is, which is amazing, looking that far away, is give us insight into our own mm. neighborhood here. Yeah. These these eight planets in our solar system when when they formed no, yeah. what was nearby. You know, it would be like I, I well I had no idea what we, what we were going to be talking about today to be honest. You 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 mentioned it to me this morning and I said, yeah, "Oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah." Astronomy, you, <laughs> you take the lead on this one. I did not know that we were going to be seek, speaking with someone who has pretty good knowledge of how our sun was born. Yeah. That's no, awesome. That is th- that. That's amazing in itself, and I think that's pretty well, or relatively well understood, because you, I, I, we can watch other stars like our sun form in real in real time. There's so many of them, hmm. or in semi real time. Yeah, I think it's more that what I what was completely new to me is I would not have expected that when our sun formed and our planets. Uh, formed as well out of that 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 accretion, yeah out of that accretionary disk that we would have had a monstrous stellar giant somewhere nearby roasting us the whole time and that that would have been fine that's mm-hmm. okay we're gonna you know we're gonna, die off anyways the bigger ones die off much faster than than, yeah. than stars like ours yeah and it didn't do enough damage like to make life impossible and that's that's just a, it's a detail it's an interesting one and I again it it, it I can I can feel it feels like you're traveling through the universe talking to people like that you're 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 talking it makes everything else seem so irrelevant in the best way and then real quick uh, uh, when did our earth come along i think it's 4.5 four and a half billion years ago but way after the the said monster then had died off that i i would have been a great question for maria and maybe for our next interview with her Let's talk to her again. <laughs> yeah, but presumably after. And, that and what questions should we ask? If you've if you've got any out there for Maria, let us know. Send them via email at s or to su at dw dot com. Science unscripted.